Alert. Tune in for Christ is the Answer, Monday through Fridays at 11 a.m. on Ave Maria Radio. This is 990 WDEO, Ypsilanti, Detroit, or on the Internet at WDEO.net. Crested in the Afternoon is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. From the studios of Ave Maria Radio in Ann Arbor, Michigan, Al Cresta is ready for conversations of consequence. This is Cresta in the Afternoon. And a good afternoon to you. I'm Al Cresta, thanking you for joining me once again, two hours ahead of us, talking about the things that matter most. Let me first of all thank all of you who showed up at Father Gabriel Richard High School in Ann Arbor last night, where Noel Maring gave an outstanding talk on being awake not woke. And it was a, a very, um, about 45 minutes, she laid out the dogmas of the woke movement. Uh, again, I mentioned her book. It's available in the online bookstore as well. But thanks for being there. It's, I think it's important for Catholics and other Christians to gather together in order to get a clear idea of what's going on in our culture. Today, we're going to not talk about politics. Well, actually, I'm going to take a moment to explain why I don't talk about political controversies very much. I do talk about cultural controversies. That's why we focused in on the woke movement. That's a cultural movement. It's not, strictly speaking, a partisan political movement. Cultural movements often have political dimensions, but they're much broader, and they need to be attacked at different points than just through political partisanship. So I'm going to talk about that in the first segment. Also, we're going to be joined by Mike um, uh, Hernan about messiness, that that might be the secret to a holy family. He's co-founder of the Messy Family Project. He'll be joining me in the second segment of today's program. We're also going to be joined by Jonathan Dingler from China Aid. They have discovered that Christians in, in one province of China, Christians must now, they are required to complete an online form and receive approval in order to attend church services. It's crazy, but it's something we need to be aware of. That's coming up. And in the second hour of today's program, we get to know the Apostle Paul. St. Paul is one of the biblical figures we know best because we have so many of his personal writings. We not only have writings to the churches, but we actually have personal correspondence from him to individuals. And he also is somebody who tells us a lot about his background, his life, his education, and how his encounter with Christ changed him. And that encounter on the Damascus Road actually becomes the watershed for his New theology, you might say. So Brent Petrie will be joining me in the second hour, and we'll rethink Pauline theology. He's a New Covenant Jew, is what he is. But first, the headlines. Thanks, Al. Good afternoon, everyone. This is your Ave Maria Radio News for Wednesday, March 8th. It's the Feast of St. John of God. Today's news brought to you by Charity Mobile, supporting pro-life and Catholic causes at CharityMobile.com. Christians in a province of China must now complete an online form and receive approval in order to attend church services. Officials claim this is a form of governance, but have not provided a legal reasoning for this decision. China Aid's Jonathan Dengler has more information later in this hour. 
Britain's House of Commons has approved legislation to create buffer zones around abortion facilities. A wide variety of activities, including silent prayer and consensual conversation, would be prohibited in these zones. If passed, the buffer zones will extend 150 meters or nearly 500 feet around abortion clinics in England and Wales. Violation would be punished with a fine, a change from a previously proposed penalty that calls for a prison sentence. Police in Louisville, Kentucky discriminate against black people. Louisville Metro and LMPD engaged in a pattern or practice of conduct that violates the First and Fourth Amendments of the Constitution. That's what Attorney General Merrick Garland said as a report about the department was released almost exactly three years after Breonna Taylor's death in the city. She was a black woman who was asleep with her boyfriend in her apartment in March of 2020 when two plainclothes officers botched a no-knock raid and broke into the home. In describing the report, Garland added an agreement has been reached with the city to address problems listed in that report. Two Americans who survived a violent kidnapping in Mexico are now recovering in a Texas hospital. Eric Williams and Lativa McGee were brought to Brownsville after they were found in a wooden shack just across the border in Mexico yesterday. Two other Americans died after the kidnapping that happened on Friday. From your Ave Maria Radio.net news desk, I'm Steve Clark. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. Uh, occasionally, listeners will ask me why I don't spend much time dealing with these partisan political controversies. Uh, I still spend time on cultural controversies, like the social changes we see as a result of, say, the woke movement. So we do do that, and occasionally that has political dimensions to it. But um, blatantly partisan political controversies are things I, I actually try to avoid. I, I think St. Paul tells us to avoid <laughs> those kind of futile uh, arguments. This is why. First of all, they use up valuable time that could be better used to build us up in the faith and make us better disciples of Christ. I, I haven't been called to cover political controversies. I was called to demonstrate the rationality, vitality, and supernatural origin of the Catholic faith. And once you start covering political controversies, you've touched the tar baby, and you can't get free of it. When one controversy ends, the mainstream press locates another. It's part of their business plan to keep your attention primed so they can sell advertising. And politicians and commentators are only too glad to uh, comply with the demand for fire and political brimstone. Political controversies crowd out topics which are vastly more important. I'd rather talk about Thomas Aquinas than President Biden. Partially because Thomas isn't weaving and bobbing and trying to escape accountability. He's, his work's right there. We can scrutinize it. He's not going to change his opinion just after we think we've understood him. Politicians are chameleon-like. They'll waste your time with non-answer answers. Thomas doesn't do that. Political controversies are not aimed at getting at the truth. And that leads me back to the coverage and controversy surrounding the January 6th riot at the Capitol. We now know that Republican Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, has given Fox commentator Tucker Carlson access to thousands of hours of Capitol riot video that Carlson can now cherry-pick and air on his nightly program. Apparently, much of it has not been seen before. McCarthy knows that Carlson is the implacable foe of the January 6th committee. But neither Carlson nor the January 6th committee are, first of all, interested in the truth. They're not interested in accuracy. They're interested in umbrage. They're interested in fueling resentment toward their opponents. 
Look, the Democrats' handling of the January 6th event was an exercise in political opportunism. The commission excluded Republicans who didn't see January 6th as a serious attempt to overthrow the government. You know, the, the truth is, most Republicans saw the spectacle of a mob descending on the Capitol as deeply disturbing, especially because it could easily be demonstrated that they did so at the behest of a Republican president. But to get on the panel, it wasn't enough to regard January 6th as deeply unsettling. You had to regard it as an insurrection, an attempt to unseat the present government. You had to believe that this was the greatest threat to national sovereignty since the Civil War or the War of 1812. Or as former District Attorney Andrew McCarthy puts it, you had to believe that Trump's incitement to insurrection had our democracy hanging by a thread. End quote. Look, a moment's reflection uncovers two things that demonstrate that the mob of January 6th was not interested in or capable of toppling the government. First of all, for all of its showmanship, the mob only succeeded in delaying the inevitable for a few hours. By the end of the day, the Congress had reconvened. They certified the vote. They finished its business. It was never close to being run out of office and replaced by a new Congress or a new government, in spite of all the hoopla and empty promises of the protesters. The second reason you know that there was not mob intent on toppling the government is revealed in the tragic death of protester Ashley Babbitt. January 6th was not the storming of the Bastille, which begins the French Revolution in 1789. In fact, the only time a defender of the Capitol shot at the protesters, they backed down immediately. Capitol Police officer shot and killed Ashley Babbitt. She was attempting to enter the area of the Capitol that he was sworn to protect and defend. Behind her was the mob. And as she tried to push herself through a broken panel, he fired, killing her. Nobody picked up, picked up her bloody blouse, uh, waved it as though they were the revolutionary students in the musical Les Miserables. Nobody waved that around and began rallying the troops forward. No. The troops stopped. They began comforting her, save, trying to save her life. It was an ugly, tragic moment that did not have to happen. But it tells us everything we need to know about the intentions of the mob. They were there to create disarray, to mess up the proceedings. They were hoping Mike Pence would implement a harebrained plan to not certify the results of the election. They were not there to topple the government. You see, Democrats have long resented the Republican conceit that the Republican Party is the party of Lee Greenwood's I'm proud to be an American. Republicans have been much better than the Democrats at presenting the Republican Party as the party of patriots and of making Democrats appear to be the party of Angela Davis, Monica Lewinsky, and Fidel Castro. During the presidential campaign of 1972, the Nixon campaign laughed at the Democrats who had nominated George McGovern and called McGovern's party, the Democrats, the party of abortion, amnesty, and acid. This is part of a long-standing squabble for who gets to control the image of patriotism in American politics. The Republicans, the Republicans generally hold that territory, but after January 6th, the Dems thought they had opportunity to seize the high moral ground of patriotism. So they created an investigatory panel that actually excluded those who saw January 6th as a mere riot, rather than the equivalent of the War of 1812. In keeping with their plan to embarrass President Trump and his party, the January 6th Commission did not permit release of the full transcripts or video of the witness testimony. This meant that observers could not determine if the snippets of testimony and video being used by the committee 
was being used in proper context. The January 6th committee also abandoned the traditional adversarial process, which didn't permit cross-examination of witnesses. It was a piece of political theater. It was not a search for the truth. Nancy Pelosi had uh, prohibited Republican House Speaker Kevin McCarthy from being on the panel. Uh, he just wasn't her kind of Republican. So now he is Speaker of the House, and he's turned over the January 6th committee's collection of videos, not to respected center-right journalists, but to controversialist Tucker Carlson, who's respected as a provocateur, but not as a journalist. Andy McCarthy is National Review columnist. He served as the Assistant U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of New York and put away the terrorist known as the Blind Sheikh and Ramzi Youssef, who were responsible for the first Trade Center bombing. And Andy puts it this way, what goes round, comes round. And so now we have Tucker Carlson airing videos of the QAnon shaman Jacob Chansley. Carlson is claiming that Chansley was merely being escorted by the Capitol Police during the riot. He was even allowed to, to enter the congressional chamber. They seem like buddies, in fact. He certainly isn't being treated like a threat to the government. He isn't being brought to his knees in an attempt to subdue him. Well... Somehow this is supposed to suggest that the Capitol Police weren't being menaced by the protesters. There's already plenty of video of Chansley in the Congressional Chamber wandering around. It's not news. Um, <laughs> what We have all this trumpet saying all this new stuff is here, but those photos of Ch video of Chansley is not new. It doesn't change the narrative at all. Carlson doesn't seem to understand the significance of the videos he's looking at. Chansley was arrested, he was charged, he was tried, he was sentenced to 41 months in prison. He was represented by an experienced defense counsel. He voluntarily pled guilty to obstructing a congressional proceeding, that is, the January 6th Joint Session of Congress. His lawyers would have insisted on being shown any potentially exculpatory evidence prior to the guilty plea, and the prosecutors would have been obliged to produce it. No doubt. Chansley knew about this video, or at least images of it, because I knew about it. They were widely circulated on YouTube. And he knew what he experienced there, including his interactions with the police. And as Andrew McCarthy writes in italics, he pled guilty anyway, because there is nothing exculpatory on the video clips that Carlson has published. You know, the charge was that Chansley obstructed Congress. You don't have to engage in an insurrection or a riot to obstruct Congress. You just need to be in a place you don't have any lawful right to be in and engage in action that prevents Congress from conducting its proceedings. And in that sense, this just-released video of Chansley shows him committing the very crime he was charged of. There's nothing exculpatory about the video. Carlson and others who sympathize with Chansley and the rioters simply are inattentive to the obvious points of law. But as I said, they're not interested in accuracy or truth, but in increasing umbrage. And that's why I generally avoid the garden-variety partisan political controversies of the day. They're often vacuous, insubstantial. And up to this point, these videos break no new ground. They just give Carlson an opportunity to play the controversialist. You know, McCarthy puts it this way. It's clear that the police are de-escalating what they fear might become a violent situation. When they're grossly outnumbered in power case situations, they're trained not to provoke people who are not menacing them, lest they needlessly ignite mob violence. So Chansley 
you know, shouldn't have been inside the Capitol at all, but he wasn't physically threatening the police. So why would they have manhandled him in a way that might have attracted attention and sparked a forcible reaction? That would have been dangerous for the police, many of whom did suffer injuries during the uprising, and many of the demonstrators, uh, one of them, of course, was killed. The police objective in moments like this is to stabilize a bad situation. It's basically de-escalation. But the Democrats are as hyperbolic as Carlson, who alleges that there's a conspiracy to isolate and marginalize patriotic Americans. The Dems would have us believe that those who participated in the January 6th riot were led by white supremacists carrying out the coded messages of an out-of-control president ready to retake Congress in the name of Washington, Jefferson, and Madison. The Civil War was an insurrection. That's what Lincoln called it. We now have 900 defendants charged in the events of January 6th, and none of them have been charged with the federal crime of insurrection. So if Democrats were interested in advancing the truth, they'd stop using that term. From the start, I called January 6th a riot, never an insurrection, and uh, this gives you some idea of why I avoid monitoring and commenting on these partisan political controversies. They're generally not quests for truth or accuracy. They're attempts to score points. I mean, right now, we've got real problems we're facing. We're not, looking at an, we're not in an age of change. We're in a change of the ages. We're living through the death of Christendom. Not the death of the church, but the death of cultural Christianity. The British Parliament today, this is a nation with a state church, is now considering legislation to put a 500-foot buffer zone around England and Wales uh, abortion clinics. And they would not only ban protests or conversation with women seeking abortions, they're even trying to avoid silent prayer. We've got more important things to deal with. We have the opportunity to focus on the major issues of life and death, guilt and forgiveness, God and nothingness. We're living in perilous but opportune times. And we don't have time for political gamesmanship from the left or the right. We have the gospel. Ave Maria School of Law is the Roman Catholic law school in the United States. Consistently ranked in the Princeton Review as one of the best and most conservative law schools, as well as pre-law's most devout law school. Ave Maria School of Law provides a traditional legal education while emphasizing how the law intersects with the Catholic intellectual tradition and natural law philosophy. Ave Maria School of Law, unabashedly Catholic, consistently excellent. For more information, visit AveMariaLaw.edu. The National Eucharistic Congress is teaming up with Catholic Men's Leadership Alliance to bring you a free online Lenten event for men. Join Dr. Edward Sri, Bishop Andrew Cousins, and John Michael Lucido. Hi, my name is Dr. Edward Sri, and I'm excited to be a part of this men's conference. Am I taking those next steps to following Jesus, to encountering his love and his mercy and being transformed as a man of God? Sign up today for the Heroic Men Summit at HeroicMen.com. What a Night March 15th will be at the National Shrine of the Little Flower Basilica. Each month, the Live at the Basilica series brings in renowned speakers to inspire and reinvigorate us to live as missionary disciples. On Wednesday night, March 15th, Michigan head football coach Jim Harbaugh, Christ is the Answer host Father John Ricardo, and sports broadcaster and All-American Tim McCormick will speak on leadership and what it means to be a Christ-centered person. Go to ShrineChurch.com to learn more. No reservations are required. See ShrineChurch.com. On the next Epiphany... 
people want virtue. Hi, Vanessa Denhagarmo here. Father John Linden, pastor at St. Andrew Parish in Saline, will talk more about what Catholic schools can give. Sister Piper Clad from Shrine of Jesus to Divine Mercy will invite us to the Golden Ladle Soup Competition and their Lenten Speaker Series. Epiphany, weekdays at noon on Ave Maria Radio. And now, a Meditation Minute from Father Gabriel Richard High School. I'm Joey, a senior, with a meditation on the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, verses 31 through 37. In this Gospel passage, Jesus casts out an unclean spirit from a man in the synagogue. Those who were in the synagogue were amazed by his authority and power. I think we sometimes forget how much Jesus is capable of. He is the omnipotent Son of God, second person of the Trinity. He defied death and saved us from our sin. This gospel is a reminder for us that Jesus can do anything. All we have to do is ask. Remember, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. I challenge you to think about one thing you need Jesus' help with today and ask for his strength. This Meditation Minute is brought to you by the students, faculty, and staff of Father Gabriel Richard High School. Visit fgrhs.org. Support for this Ave Maria program comes in part by the not-for-profit St. Anthony Services. Shopping for insurance, mortgage products, Catholic health coverage, identity protection, or financial planning? SaintAnthonyServices.org can help you find a Catholic professional for all those and more. They regularly connect faithful citizens with faith-based professionals that share our Christian values. STAnthonyServices.org or 877-LIFE-US-1. Resetting your password, unsubscribing from emails, printing anything. Why are simple things sometimes so complicated? Thankfully, with an auto owner's insurance independent agent, getting the right coverage for your business doesn't have to be one of them. So you can get back to more important things, like learning how that printer works. That's simple human sense. Call Choice Insurance Agency at 734-641-4200. Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. Have you ever looked around your church or school and felt that everyone had a perfect family except you? Or if not a perfect family, at least everybody else seemed to have it more together than you did, right? Well, my guest, uh, Michael Hernan and his wife, Alicia, are often asked, as parents of ten, their secrets for raising holy, virtuous kids. The answer might be simpler than you think. Mike is co-founder of the Messy Family Project, father of 10, as I said. He has extensive experience in fundraising, development, and politics, currently serving on the local city council. When he's not doing all things messy, uh, you can find Mike enjoying family time with his wonderful grandchildren. And you can meet him, by the way, next January uh, on the Good News Cruise coming up, January 27th to February 2nd uh, next year. Mike, good to have you here. Al, it is a pleasure to be on the program with you. You must hear it often, uh, people asking, how do you do it? I mean, uh, you know, people are in awe, I'm sure, when they see your family together. 
You know, it, 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 are we doing it, Al? I'm not sure if we're doing it. <laughs> what is it? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but but it is it is true, right? And uh, some people have, have clued in saying, hey, we've got 10 kids. That's just a curiosity. It's like the, the bearded lady at the circus. <laughs> <laughs> It looks like we may have lost him. Okay. We'll get back. Uh, we'll get Mike back with us um, and pick up the conversation. Uh, it is It is funny, though, because uh, uh, he and Alicia are parents of 10, and there is a novelty to that. People are surprised. Uh, and as he said, it's like the bearded lady in the circus. Uh, there's something odd about this. Of course, Ten children is a is a good good sized number of kids. Even when I was growing up, the Reynolds family in East Haven, Connecticut, had ten kids. We had five in my family, uh, and a lot of people thought that we had a large family. But Gene uh, Reynolds and his brothers and sisters made up ten. And like I said, they just lived down the street from us. So we never felt with five that we were uh, that we stood out at all. But ten, even in the 1950s and into the 60s, ten was still considered a large family. Uh, we all know, of course, of other people who have even larger families. But uh, people are baffled, and many people want to know: Well, how how do you how do you maintain relationships with all of them? I mean, this is true with grandchildren too, isn't it? I mean, if you, as the number of grandchildren grow, you wonder: Can you have the kind of meaningful uh, relationship with each of them that you once idealized? And that's certainly true, not just with grandchildren, it can become true with children. And parents often wonder what their capacity is. What can they honestly bear? And uh, how do they make decisions that enable them to be good stewards of the time that they have? And uh, Mike, you with us again? Yes. Oh, yes, very good. Yeah, so it's a novelty that people like to point out. they got ten kids, the bearded lady in the circus. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It is much simpler in, in, in some ways than people want to admit, but it isn't. It isn't for the faint of heart either, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things that reason we call it messy is that we we oftentimes, as you kind of said, you know, we, we create this Pinterest perfect or this photoshopped image uh, that we like to present out there. And and anybody who kind of pulls back the curtain and says, you know, life isn't always perfect. Uh, we don't always have that that you know that holy card image uh, of our family, right. but it's actually much more accessible uh, than than a lot of people would think. And it, and it really comes down to some just some fundamentals. You know, we're we're in the winter here, and uh, you, you talked about the good news cruise. It's, yeah, it's things like getting away with your wife, getting yeah. away with your spouse, uh, making sure marriage is the foundation. Uh, of your home, that's important. putting first things first with your spiritual life, mm-hmm. and then investing in being the mom and dad that you are called to be, and getting first things first is uh, is the beginning of of holiness. People wonder how you can be a good father to so many. They seem to think that if you've got ten, that means you don't have enough time for any one of them. Yes. Yeah, it's true, right? I mean, I don't have more time than you do. You don't have more. Right, right. I wish we had more. Isn't there daylight savings coming up? Do we get more hours in the day? I don't know. The Congress is trying to make do the impossible, uh, which they often do. So we'd like to (laughs) go ahead. 
No, but it, it's, uh, you know, one of the things that, particularly for a, a large, having a large brood, you got to make sure the kids don't feel like they're just part of a herd. Right. You know, that they're, they're, not, they're, they're not lost in this chaos. Because just by having a large family doesn't automatically equate to, therefore, you're going to have a great family. Uh, right. You do have to be intentional about it. And if I looked at all the things that I could be doing, you know, and I'm spending time during Lent saying, how can I be more effective as a husband? How can I give myself more fully as a father and uh, and making time for them? And it doesn't have to be a lot, but it does have to be time in your schedule. Because if you value prayer, you're going to make time for it in your schedule. If you value your kids, you're going to make time in your schedule. Yeah. And there's simple techniques that we teach about just engaging with your kids one-on-one, getting involved in their lives. But happily, our 10 kids didn't come all at once. Yeah. And that we slowly got worked into this uh, this kind of messy prospect. Yeah. Do you do you um, m- deliberately make time? Do you have like a special time that you set aside for each child? Yeah. Is, yeah. Is, does yeah. that work for we you? We have found that that's yeah that's that's what we we have you know I think it's a trademark term special time right okay. yeah that that's the that's that's essential though and and it can be simple as just taking one of the kids to the hardware store to help you out in a project yeah, uh, yeah. sitting down with a little guy to read. Uh, even just just playing a, a game uh, with them uh, and, and investing in them. But as they get older, what we found is that those have borne fruit when we come to the teenage years and we really need to have a pretty solid relationship to talk and speak truth into their hearts. If we don't have the relationship built, yeah, um, and, and relationships are built with the material of time, if we don't have that invested early on, it's going to be harder and harder. But you know, you can always start again. And that's what I found is that I'm, you know, feel like I'm always starting again, trying to get back on on track, and mm-hmm. that's that's okay. God loves us and works with us even in our our uh, our flawed attempts and our weakness, um, and fills in those gaps. But it's about giving our time uh, yeah. to our kids, our most precious commodity. You you are very intentional about building a family culture, right? I mean, that's a phrase that yeah. I, I found personally helpful because it lets yeah. me know that I'm building something with Sally and with the kids. Yeah. And the kids can pick up on it, and they can actually reinforce what you're trying to do. So I imagine, in, in some ways, the siblings do some of your work for you. That's right. Yeah, it, it's kind of an economies of scale, you know. Yeah. You know, when you, it, it's not just having ten kids. It, that sounds overwhelming if you only have one or two kids. Um, but but as you have more. You now have older kids who are invested in the lives of their kids, and, and just using the example of uh, special time, uh, you know that left an impression on some of our older kids that when they're off at college or where they're off married and then come home, uh, they actually made time without us encouraging it or, or you know, anything. They made special time for their younger siblings, yeah. and nice. they, they invested in those relationships. And it's a you know family culture is that kind of peer pressure within the home oriented towards the things that we value most. It really is a secret weapon uh, of Catholic families that yeah. we've got to invest in a culture, which means your kids are, parting, are part of that as well. Conflicts are inevitable uh, with all human beings, and especially if you've got you know, 12 human beings living under one roof, that problems are going to show up. Um, how how um, publicly do you model this process of confrontation, um, challenge, uh, forgiveness, reconciliation. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, it's, it, this is the place where human formation happens, right? It's yep. in the home. Yep. And, 
your your uh, your kids' future spouses or religious communities or, or parishes will be thanking you if you help them navigate this. You don't do it all for them. You're not the helicopter parent swooping in and fixing all of the problems. But you're also looking and saying, sibling conflicts, yeah, that's, that's a normal part of life. It's okay. You know, it, but what we need to do is, you know, the first thing that we often do is, is talk about how do you really forgive? How do you really reconcile with each other? Because mm-hmm. our kids are going to still, you know, steal each other's shirts or, you know, get annoyed at one another or say, well, he didn't do all of his chores. Why are you making me do this? And they end up in battles and so forth. And, but um, we've got to teach them what virtue looks like and how to act more virtuously and, and, sh- and charitably, but also how to repair that relationship. And that's, um, although there's a, lots of ways to do it, that probably the number one thing is just teaching our kids what does forgiveness really look like? How do I walk through it and say, I was wrong, but what I did was wrong, and I'm sorry, and... Uh, will you forgive me? Asking for that forgiveness and then giving it. And then for little guys, I'd make sure they hugged. And then usually it was a, a perfunctory, boring, no no feeling hug. And I said, hug until I believe you actually mean it. You know, and then they would end up tackling and stuff. <laughs> That's and, good. But it, but it broke the ice, yeah. you know, and, and, it, and it, cre- it relieved the tension. That is great. That's a great line because it, it breaks right into the child's uh, resistance, you know. You've yeah. actually you've made it kind of a joke of it, uh, yes. in, in a good sense, in the good sense. Yeah, but that, again, that's part of the family culture, right? It's got to be fun. Yeah. Uh, a good friend of ours would always say that if, if you want to pray with your kids, you need to play with your kids. Yeah. And uh, yeah, have fun. Yeah, the joy in your house needs to be part of how you're forming your kids, too. Um, you mentioned at the beginning of our conversation that uh, you've got to have a strong marriage. Uh, you know, you got to put that, uh, that's what you have to work on, because uh, if you don't work on that, uh, the rest won't follow. Do you, actually, do you actually take a night a week or something to go out with Alicia? Yeah, I'll be honest with you. We it, It's easier to say than do. Yeah. I was yep. a consultant in politics for many years. It's so much easier to tell a political candidate or somebody in business to do something than to actually do it yourself. Yeah. We had a good habit, and it kind of fell off yep. uh, the, the wagon, if you will. Yeah, same thing with and, me. Uh, yep. Yeah, and, and, but, but now doing this ministry, knowing this, it's actually been, it's borne fruit in our own lives where, uh, we now have it on my calendar. You know, tonight we're going out. This is our date night tonight, yeah. and uh, it's every Wednesday. That's great. And um, not overly complicated. It's it's we're we're not talking business. We're not talking shop. We're talking about our lives, where we're going. Um, sometimes it's super simple and just you know happy hour at, at some restaurant. Sometimes sure. it's a fancier thing, but and sometimes it's just hey, we just grabbed a couple sandwiches and we're sitting out in the park or whatever, you know. Uh, but it's the regular, consistent time. There's there's a simple recipe that um, there, you need a daily, daily check-in, and, and it doesn't always happen every single day, but good friends of ours would say, you know, coffee and wine, you know. Yeah. That's our check-in, you know, at the beginning of the day. At the end, end of the day, day right. Yeah. And then a you know, weekly or monthly date night, and then an annual getaway. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Now, tell people how they can uh, get a hold of the podcast. Yeah, so you can find our podcast at messyfamilyproject.org or anywhere you listen to podcasts on, okay. on Apple or um, uh, Spotify. And Mike's going to be with us for the Good News Cruise next January 27th, February 2nd. You can use the promo code LUCKY5 for an upgraded specialty dining experience for one night. So register now. 
Today's programming on 990 WDEO is brought to you in part by a gift from our day sponsors, Carolyn and Larry, who would like to honor Carolyn's mother, Helen Berger, on her 95th birthday today. Mother of nine, grandmother of 24, and great-grandmother of 26, Helen is a shining example of God's love and our family. May God bless her with good health and many more birthdays to come. Happy birthday, Helen, from all of us here at Ave Maria Radio. You are invited as Bishop Earl Boyer presides over the 25th Annual Rose Mass for Healthcare Workers, Saturday, March 18th at 4.30 at Christ the King in Ann Arbor. Afterwards, there will be a dinner and discussion on the relationship between Catholic medicine, the media, and the impact on patients. Featuring Ave Maria Radio's Al Cresta and Father Peter Ryan. This takes place at Fox Hills Country Club near Plymouth. Go to cmalansing at gmail.com to purchase tickets. That's cmalansing at gmail.com. It's time for Family Man with Dr. Gregory Popcha. God isn't content to love us from a distance. That's why he emptied himself, was born a man, walked among us, suffered, died, and rose again. That's why, having ascended to the Father, he gives us the sacraments, all so that we can experience his extravagant love through our senses. Being generously and appropriately affectionate with our kids is an important way to teach them about Christ's own embodied extravagant love. There's nothing stingy or reserved about the way God loves his children, you and me. And we're called to love our children as demonstratively as he loves us. To discover more ways your family can celebrate the liturgy of domestic church life, check out the newest editions of Parenting with Grace and visit CatholicCounselors.com. I'm Dr. Greg Popchak, but you can call me Family Man. To discover more ways faith can enrich your life, visit CatholicCounselors.com. How does the first commandment encompass the virtue of charity? The Catholic Catechism says it commands us to love God above all else and to love all creatures for him and because of him. There are numerous ways to sin against God's love. The sin of indifference neglects or refuses to contemplate divine charity. Ingratitude refuses to even acknowledge divine charity or return to God love for love. Lukewarmness is hesitation or negligence in responding to divine love. Spiritual sloth occurs when a person rejects the joy coming from God and is repelled by divine goodness. Finally, actual hatred of God denies his goodness and curses him as the one who forbids sin and inflicts punishments. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. Christian in the Afternoon is underwritten by the following nonprofit organization, Real Estate for Life. Buying or selling your home or business property? Real Estate for Life can connect you to one of 900 pro-life real estate agents around the world. When Real Estate for Life receives a referral fee, they donate 75% to Ave Maria Radio and Human Life International. More information at realestateforlife.org or 877-LIFE-US-1. That's realestateforlife.org. Hello to all those who have taken solemn marriage vows. It's your patron saint of marriages, St. Joseph here. Oh, how the angels rejoice in heaven when a couple is married. But heaven also sees that marriages can struggle and be difficult sometimes. We're rooting for you. God will give you everything you need to overcome. Stay strong, husbands and wives. For 45 years, Retrovi has been quietly improving marriages behind the scenes by the grace of God. Learn more at helpourmarriage.org. That's helpourmarriage.org. 
I'm Al Cresta. My guest is Jonathan Dingler. He's Communications Director for China Aid. You can follow their work at ChinaAid.org and follow them on Twitter at ChinaAid. But they've discovered that Christians in a populous province of China must now complete an online form and receive approval in order to attend church services. And uh, Jonathan, good to have you with me. I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much. Can you describe exactly describe this what you discovered? I this is amazing to me. Go ahead. Yes, yeah, so the Chinese government in Henan province, it's one of the most populous areas for Christianity in China. They've been kicking around this idea for a platform online. Um it's a multifaceted platform. It's kind of in the planning stages of implementing a, a app on people's phone uh, for them to do a multitude, a myriad of things. Um, and China Aid sources have discovered that one of these um, uh, functions of the app is for Christians, for um, anybody who's practicing religion, that they have to sign a form and get approval in order to attend some state-run churches in Henan province. Would this be like a one-time approval, or is it a weekly approval, or monthly approval, or annual approval? Well, we're not really quite sure. There's not a lot of details right now on the app, but we do know that it's for sure um, initial approval is required. So, given the state of uh, China law, is this... Is there a legal basis for this? As far as we know, there's been no real legal basis for this. We just know that this is something that they're hoping to implement without anybody noticing, really. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's really, really amazing. Do you expect that there would be an outcry if this were actually implemented? Or are Chinese Christians just accept, will have to just accept it as one more imposition? Well, unfortunately, Chinese Christians will have to endure it in some way or another, but us here in the West, um, for our Chinese brothers and sisters, um, we can raise our voices for them mm-hmm. um, and let the Chinese government know that we, we won't tolerate things like this. Um, and I'm, I'm sure that we will see also um, many other Christians and uh, other faithful over there in China, in Henan province, that they will make a statement as well. But for the, for the meantime, um, what we can do is pray for them and support them in whatever way possible. Can you describe some of the uh, impediments to what we would call religious liberty that Chinese Christians regularly face? Oh man, how long do you have? Huh? Yeah, I, <laughs> I like I like it to, I like it to be repeated because it's hard to keep in mind what they're actually living with day in and day out. Well, I think just to cover some of the major bases is that really in in China there is a state recognized religion, um, both for Catholics, Protestants, Muslims, um, Buddhists. 
Um, and this is a form, it's really just a government program. The government oversees these state-sanctioned religions. They get to make changes however they like. They get to approve clergymen uh, and other leaders of the religious organization. And really, if you think about it, it's just non-believers yoked with believers. Um, so this has been going on since the CCP started, um, since the Chinese Communist Party started. Um, and then there's a second church, which is kind of the underground church. And so really what the Chinese Communist Party does is they try to suffocate or eliminate the underground church, the ones that are, you know, maybe they are faithful to the Vatican, maybe um, they're Protestant Christians who um, refuse to um, be a part of the government. Mm -hmm. um, but the Chinese Communist Party is trying to eliminate that group and kind of make the religious, the official religious organizations almost like a talking piece for the Communist mm. Party. Okay. So um, one way that they do this is that they've actually created a religious information license. Um, this was back last year. They started to implement this um, Information Religious Act where Christians or anybody that wants to post religious content online has to get a license. Um, through the government in order to do that. And so most of the only way to really get this license is if you're part of these state-sanctioned religions. Mm -hmm. So any underground church pastors or any underground um, clergymen are not allowed to post religious content, and if they are, their content can get removed or they could face um, some kind of legal action. So that's just one small example of how the Communist Party is really eliminating religious freedom. Yeah, and I think for those of us in the United States, it's it's hard to imagine. We often complain about the heavy hand of government, but uh, <laughs> we're not enduring anything like the Chinese Christians are enduring. Right, but we should be taking notes um, from them, and we should be seeing how they're responding to losing their religious freedom yep. and and learn from that so that when it happens to us, which it will if we're faithful, mm -hmm. um, if we're faithful, we will face persecution, right? Yep. And that's what I hope that a lot of Christians can take from some of our Chinese brothers and sisters. Tell me about uh, this uh, dissident, uh, Zong Haitao. Oh, yes. So Zhang Haitao was actually arrested um, back in 2015, I believe, um, and sentenced to 19 years in prison um, because he's been um, uh, outspoken uh, for the time being. He was outspoken about the... Uh, how the Chinese Communist Party was treating the ethnic minority Uyghurs. Okay. Um, and so he was given a 19-year sentence. And recently, for the first time in almost five years, his older sister was finally able to visit him. Wow. Wow. He got a 19-year a sentence for advocating on behalf of the Uyghurs. That's right. So his two charges specifically were for inciting subversion of state power because he didn't agree with what the Communist Party was doing, and his separate charge was colluding with foreign forces because providing intelligence overseas because he was taking um, interviews with other Western media oh, outlets. Yeah. Wow. wow. That's just amazing. Just amazing. So this, um, So his sister 
was able to meet with him for the first time in what almost five years. That's right. Uh, what? That's right. She. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I just wondered. Did she, did, did she um, pass along anything of uh, interest to us? Well, we haven't heard much from Zhang Haikao in the last almost five years. Um, he's in Xinjiang, which is the region where an estimated one to two million Uyghurs are kept in concentration camps. And so there's really um, not a lot of information that can be passed from the prison. And it seems that she did not pass on a lot of information because... She's probably afraid of not being able to see her brother again right. if she speaks out too much. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what I would think, too. Living in that kind of environment, you always have to be uh, attentive to the intrusion of the uh, central government. Uh, is there any... When you look at the the plight of Christians uh, in uh, living, living under the Chinese Communist Party, do you see any signs of hope, legally speaking, uh, and then we can talk about spiritually speaking? Well, I don't personally see any hope that the Chinese Communist Party is going to take the foot off the gas really mm-hmm. okay um if anything we have seen that they are incre- they are increasingly uh, becoming more aggressive over the last three years at least yeah and uh, is there any indication that uh, xi jinping is uh preparing to pass on uh his uh power to another as far as we can tell here at China Aid, we we believe that Xi Jinping has set himself up to be emperor for life yeah. um, okay. after he took his unprecedented third term. Right. And honestly, it, it seems like the the reason I say that there's probably no hope legally for them to go back on this is because the CCP is changing from instead of churches, the, remember the, the official churches, instead of them just being friendly to socialism, now they have to worship Xi Jinping himself. Um, and so and what that, does, what that, does that actually require? I mean, what, how, how does one know they're paying homage or, you know, in some way prostrating themselves before him? So one way is that in the Protestant churches, for example, they're required to hang a portrait of Mao Zedong and Xi Jinping on either side of the cross. Wow. They're also required to wait, sing wait, Communist maybe, Party anthems. Maybe, maybe you can think of them as the two thieves. <laughs> well, that's a good piece. point. That's a good point. Well, one of them still has time to repent, right? <laughs> that's true. Yeah, so those, so they put them. He's they're right up there uh, next to the the Christ uh, on the cross. The either the Protestant, uh, you know, uh, resurrected uh, Jesus or the cruciform in the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church is required to do that too. Well, um, unfortunately, I'm not very aware. I unfortunately, there's just been a lot of um, in the last several years. Um, there's been a lot of um, tension in the Catholic Church in China um, due to the Vatican Agreement that yeah. was signed back in 2018. The treaty, yeah. yeah, which we still not very clear on all that's involved there. Um, right, right. 
But what we do see is that the plight of Christians, uh, and Catholics in particular, has not imp- improved as a result of that treaty. If anything, it's gotten worse. Right. Uh, right. We've seen a, an uptick in, in, in bishops going missing all across China. Oh. Um, so we've got the pictures of uh, Mao and Xi Jinping up there. What are other ways that they are um, trying to elicit devotion or homage? Another way that they're doing this really is right before the National People's Congress when Xi Jinping took his unprecedented third term, a lot of these religious organizations were compelled to have seminars on basically how to further implement the National People's Congress and how they could keep Xi Jinping at the core of uh, religious interpretation of scripture and, wow. and things like that. We covered this pretty extensively, actually, on in China Aid's um, annual report for last year. Um, but, the, I mean, it's just, they these religious organizations were doing a better job of lavishing Xi Jinping with compliments than the state-run media. Really? Wow. So they're, they're trying to curry favor, I guess. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Well, how do people stay in touch with what you're doing? Uh, it's just really, I think, important for us to uh, bear in mind, Jonathan. What, how do they stay in touch? Well, you can um, check out our website, which is ChinaAid.org. And then we also have um, a Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook page, which is all ChinaAid as well. Very good. Hey, thanks for being with me today, and we'll talk again. Thank you so much. Have a good one. You too. Uh, Again, Jonathan Dingler, he is uh, Communications Director for ChinaAid, ChinaAid.org. I'm Al Cresta. Be back in just a moment. Our trained specialists are experts at fixing foggy and cracked glass, leaving any residential window looking like new without replacing the entire window. Bring back the view of any window with Glass Doctor. Visit GlassDoctor.com to request a free estimate on repairing your foggy or cracked windows. Let Glass Doctor bring back your view. Call the Glass Doctor, we'll fix your pain. Oh, yeah. Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio weekdays on Ave Maria Radio. God gave this country specific gifts that we cannot suppress. You can't suppress it. People will respond and they will fight back. And this is exactly what happens when people pull together, regardless of their political persuasions, their religious beliefs, and many people involved, obviously, were in our Christians. But we pull together for the dignity of the human person overall to make a difference. Pope John Paul II said when freedom does not have a purpose, when it does not wish to know anything about the rule of law engraved in the hearts of men and women, which is exactly what's been happening in this country, when it does not listen to the voice of conscience, it turns against humanity and society. Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamia weekday mornings from 8 to 10 on Ave Maria Radio and AveMariaRadio.net. In Morse code, 
The sequence, SOS, is a distress call when someone's in trouble. It's been said that SOS stands for Save Our Souls. Well, right now, the world is in deep trouble, and we're putting out an SOS call for help. Will you answer the call? St. Paul Evangelization has hundreds of teams of evangelists that go out and share the good news with souls that are in danger of being lost. Visit StreetEvangelization.com and find a team near you so you can answer that distress call. Well, hi, it's good being with you this last hour, and we've got another hour coming up. Do follow up on our conversations uh, looking at the Messy Family Project, and uh, I, really the, the Catholic family is going to be one of the major vehicles of the new evangelization uh, as time goes on and the 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 changing definition of family in popular culture is going to make the catholic definition of family appear to be a very distinct thing uh, we're seeing in the united states we're seeing roughly one of two children born are being born to irregular relationships uh, between the parents of the children um, what becomes of a society that no longer assumes uh, the presence of a mother and father in a you know stable home what happens to a society that no longer can assume that for the children being born what, what kind of attitudes are formed uh, by children who are being born outside of those more stable family environments so again those of us who heed a Catholic understanding, a biblical understanding uh, of marriage. We've really got a great opportunity in the future uh, to see our families as vehicles of light. I'm Al Cresta. Days at 10 a.m., there's more to life. My love language is criticism. Is there someone in your life who makes you feel like you'll never be good enough for them or anyone? We'll help you deal with the chronic critics in your life. Weekdays at 10 a.m. on Ave Maria Radio. I'm angry, frustrated. Sound like you? Someone you know? Well, it could be any of us from time to time. But there's different types of anger. It's not so cut and dry. Hi, everybody. I'm Dr. Ray. One thing is for sure, you don't need to suffer with anger frustration. In my book, Living Calm, Mastering Anger and Frustration, you'll learn whether your anger is a product of your nature or your nurture, and how to regulate those emotions and those thoughts. You can get Living Calm and all my other books at AveMariaRadio.net. This is Life News Radio. I'm Jim Anderson. One New York adoption agency serves those who want to place their child in a traditional father and mother home. New York state law tried to ban such agencies from failing to serve adoptive same-sex couples or unmarried cohabitating couples. Two federal court rulings blocked that part of the law, and a settlement now compels the state to pay a quarter million in damages to New Hope Family Services of Syracuse. 40 Days for Life is noting another permanent closing of an abortion business, Bogota's Orientime Clinic. The name literally means the Guide Me Clinic is the ninth abortion business to close in Latin America.
On news that the Department of Defense, in violation of federal law, would now facilitate abortions, Senator Tommy Tuberville is essentially closing approval of all DOD appointments that come through